It's February 21st. This is the One Year Bible Tour. My name is David McAdam, and I'm happy to be your tour guide today. We are reading through the book of Leviticus. And as we have learned, the book of Leviticus is divided really into different sections describing the laws of the sanctuary, the tabernacle, and the wilderness. The first of the three sections is the temple of the Lord, dealing with the holiness required for worship. All that prefigures the perfect sacrifice of our great high priest, Jesus Christ. This is followed by the second section, which we begin today in chapters 11 through 15, dealing with the tent of our lives. And it introduces dietary laws and laws that pertain to the tabernacle of the body. And this particularly sets the people of Israel apart from their pagan neighbors. And before we get to the third and final section, dealing with the tent of meeting, the social laws, there is sandwiched in between this tremendous chapter on the great day of atonement, speaking once again of the perfect finished work of Jesus Christ. Now let's read from Leviticus chapter 11, beginning with verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, These are the living things that you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. Whatever parts of the hoof and is cloven-footed and choose the cud among the animals you may eat. Nevertheless, among those that chew the cud, or part of the hoof, you shall not eat these. The camel, because it chews the cud, but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the rock badger, because it chews the cud, but it does not part the hoof, it's unclean to you. And the hare, because it chews the cud, but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the pig, because it parts the hoof and is cloven-footed, but does not chew the cud, is unclean to you. But you shall not eat any of their flesh, and you shall not touch their carcasses. They are unclean to you. These you may eat, of all that are in the waters, everything in the waters that has fins and scales, whether in the seas or in the rivers, you may eat. But anything in the seas or the rivers that does not have fins and scales, of the swarming creatures in the waters, and of the living creatures that are in the waters, is detestable to you. You shall regard them as detestable. You shall not eat of their flesh, and you shall detest their carcasses. Everything in the waters that does not have fins and scales is detestable to you. And these you shall detest among the birds. They shall not be eaten. They are detestable. The eagle, the bearded vulture, the black vulture, the kite, the falcon of any kind, every raven of any kind, the ostrich, the nighthawk, the seagull, the hawk of any kind, the little owl, the cormorant, the short-eared owl, the barn owl, the tawny owl, the carrion vulture, the stork, the heron of any kind, the hoopoe, and the bat. All winged insects that go on all fours are detestable to you. Yet among the winged insects that go on all fours, you may eat those that have jointed legs above their feet, with which to hop on the ground. Of them you may eat, the locust of any kind, the bald locust of any kind, the cricket of any kind, and the grasshopper of any kind. But all other winged insects that have four feet are detestable to you. And by these you shall become unclean, 
Whoever touches their carcass shall be unclean until the evening. And whoever carries any part of their carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening. Every animal that parts the hoof, but is not cloven-footed, or does not chew the cud, is unclean to you. Everyone who touches them shall be unclean. And all that walk on their paws, among the animals that go on all fours, are unclean to you. Whoever touches their carcass shall be unclean until the evening. And he who carries their carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening. They are unclean to you. And these are unclean to you among the swarming things that swarm on the ground, the mole-rat, the mouse, the great lizard of any kind, the gecko, the monitor lizard, the lizard, the sand lizard, and the chameleon. These are unclean to you among all that swarm. Whoever touches them when they are dead shall be unclean until the evening. And anything on which any of them falls when they are dead shall be unclean, whether it is an article of wood or a garment or a skin or a sack, any article that is used for any purpose. It must be put into water, and it shall be unclean until the evening. Then it shall be clean. And if any of them falls into any earthenware vessel, all that is in it shall be unclean, and you shall break it. Any food in it that could be eaten, on which water comes, shall be unclean. And all drink that could be drunk from every such vessel shall be unclean. And everything on which any part of their carcass falls shall be unclean. Whether oven or stove, it shall be broken in pieces. They are unclean and shall remain unclean for you. Nevertheless, a spring or a cistern holding waters shall be clean, but whoever touches a carcass in them shall be unclean. And if any part of their carcass falls upon any seed grain that is to be sown, it is clean. But if water is put on the seed, and any part of their carcass falls on it, it is unclean to you. And if any animal which you may eat dies, whoever touches its carcass shall be unclean until the evening. And whoever eats of its carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening. And whoever carries the carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening. Every swarming thing that swarms on the ground is detestable. It shall not be eaten. Whatever goes on its belly, and whatever goes on all fours, or whatever has many feet, any swarming thing that swarms on the ground you shall not eat, for they are detestable. You shall not make yourselves detestable with any swarming thing that swarms, and you shall not defile yourselves with them, and become unclean through them. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground. For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. This is the law about beast and bird and every living creature that moves through the waters and every creature that swarms on the ground to make a distinction between the unclean and the clean, between the living creature that may be eaten and the living creature that may not be eaten. Chapter 12. Purification After Childbirth The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If a woman conceives and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days, as at the time of her menstruation she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Then she shall continue for thirty-three days in the blood of her purifying. 
she shall not touch anything holy, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying are completed. But if she bears a female child, then she shall be unclean two weeks, as in her menstruation, and she shall continue in the blood of her purifying for sixty-six days. And when the days of her purifying are completed, whether for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a lamb a year old for a burnt offering, and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering, and he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her. Then she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. This is the law for her who bears a child, either male or female. And if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for her, and she shall be clean. Chapter 11 starts the section on the tabernacle of the body, the tabernacle of our lives. Whereas the first ten chapters gave instruction regarding the holy things of the tabernacle, the priesthood, and its services, the next five chapters deal with the personal life of the child of the Old Covenant. The law of Moses demonstrated that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was Lord over all. His laws were to govern every aspect of one's daily life. The New Testament understanding of this is found in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. So whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God, and you are not your own? You are bought with a price. Therefore honor God with your body. Distinct laws were given to the people of Israel pertaining to their relationship to food in chapter 11, verses 1 to 47, childbirth in chapter 12, verses 1 to 8, infectious diseases, chapter 13 through chapter 14, verse 57, and personal hygiene in chapter 15 through verse 33. The children of Israel were given dietary regulations that would set them apart from their neighbors and give them an understanding that great care was to be given as to what went into their bodies. Their bodies belonged to the Lord. They were to be His people, uniquely possessed by Him, separate from the nations in their identification, separate from sin and separate from all that would hinder their service to Him, that is, in their consecration. Obedience to His commands would require the employment of their full attention in wholehearted devotion, that is, their dedication. In the New Testament era, these regulations would be understood in a new light. Holiness is not merely a matter of the food we take into our bodies, it is a matter of our heart. Jesus said, What goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean, but what comes out of his mouth, that is what makes him unclean. In Matthew 15, verse 11. Prior to the cross, the Jews saw themselves as clean and separate from the nations. Other nations, that is the Gentiles, were considered unclean. The cross of Christ represents the perfect, all-consuming sacrifice that reduces Jews and Gentiles to the common denominator of ashes. The only creature that arises from the ashes is the risen Christ. Here there is no Greek or Jew circumcised or uncircumcised, clean or unclean, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all 
and is in all. Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. Peter explains this truth in Acts chapter 11, verses 4 to 10, as he was accused of associating with the unclean Gentiles. But Peter began speaking and proceeded to explain to them in orderly sequence, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object coming down like a great sheet lowered by four corners from the sky, and it came right down to me. And when I had fixed my gaze on it and was observing it, I saw the four-footed animals of the earth and the wild beast and the crawling creatures and the birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter, kill, and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing unholy or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a voice from heaven answered a second time, What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. This happened three times, and everything was drawn back up into the sky. Peter claimed to be an observant Jew regarding the dietary laws of Leviticus chapter 11. But the law was a schoolteacher, to bring the Jew to Christ. The Holy Spirit told Peter to go to the Gentiles without misgivings. Our identification with Christ is not through what we eat or drink. It is through our embracing Him as our Lord and Savior and the benefits of being united with Him in His death, burial, and resurrection. We are known as belonging to Him as His risen life is expressed in us through the indwelling Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul who was also in his former days a law-observant Pharisee, writes in Romans chapter 14, verse 14 through 17, As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Laws of Separation In Leviticus chapter 11, we read of the strict regulations regarding the edible beasts of the earth, in verses 2 to 8, the edible creatures of the waters, in verses 9 to 12, and the edible creatures of the sky, in verses 13 to 25. The food prohibitions are part of the ceremonial law given to the people of Israel to distinguish them as belonging to the Lord. There are some creatures that are actually good for eating that are not on the menu as being clean or kosher. But here, the human palate is not Lord, nor the belly. These eating habits kept the Israelites a distinct people. It kept them together as a people and protected them from mingling with their pagan neighbors. Only those animals that had both cloven hoofs and chewed the cud were considered clean and could be eaten. It was good for food. Those that chewed the cud were not carnivores. But not all cud-chewing beasts were kosher because not all of them had cloven hoofs, such as camels and rabbits. Only those fish with fins and scales could be eaten. Certain birds, particularly birds of prey, were forbidden all winged insects that walk on all fours except for those that have joints above the legs and can jump, such as locusts, were forbidden. Joseph A. Cease, in his book on Leviticus, writes, quote, Animals of the ox kind were sacred to the Egyptians and were never slaughtered for food. Whilst they made free use of others, here pronounced unclean. 
The Phoenicians, or Canaanites, ate swine's flesh, and even dogs, as well as other animals which the Jews were forbidden to touch. The Arabs ate the camel as common food, the hare, the jerboa, and all which are specified or included in the Mosaic prohibitions. This chapter was, therefore, a wall of exclusion to the Jews, separating between them and all other people, which has withstood all the wastes and changes of more than 3,000 years. End quote. The overall importance of these dietary regulations was to teach that God is holy and He calls His own to be wholly His, glorifying Him in everything they eat, drink, do, and say. We are to recognize what God considers unclean and consecrate ourselves to be clean vessels for Him. Leviticus chapter 12 deals with childbirth. It is important that we understand something considered unclean does not mean it is sinful. The woman who gives birth to a son is to have him circumcised on the eighth day, and she is considered unclean for forty days. If the woman gives birth to a daughter, her time of rest and purification is doubled in Leviticus 12 verse 5. When the time of her purifying is complete, she will bring a lamb for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. If she is too poor to bring a lamb, she must bring either two turtle doves or two pigeons. In verse 7 of chapter 12, He shall offer them before the Lord to make atonement for her, and then she will be ceremonially clean from her flow of blood. These are the regulations for the woman who gives birth to a boy or a girl. There is recognition that a portion of the curse impacts the labor of the man with the ground in Genesis 3.17 and the woman in childbirth in Genesis 3.16. The thorn, thistle, and toughness of the earth will cause the man struggle and fatigue. The good news, labor is worthwhile. At the end of the day, we will have bread. The sobering reality of the curse is one day that cursed ground will be the grave in which his body will return to dust through death and decay in verse 19 of Genesis 3. The good news for the women, motherhood is worthwhile. At the end of the day, we will have families. The sobering reality is that childbirth and motherhood involve accompanying struggle and pain. All creation is affected by the disobedience of Eve and the sin of Adam. It affects all men, women, and all creation. As a result of sin, we are not where we were meant to be, but God has promised a way back to His original intention for the human race. Romans 8, verses 19-22 The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, and hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. There's good news. Persevering in faith is worthwhile. Through the pain of the woman, the promised seed would come. Through the Savior, purification will come. Again, reading from the book of the Gospel in Leviticus by Joseph A. Sees, he writes, Humanity is a stream flowing from one original fountain. God never directly made more than one man and one woman, and all other men and women are but effluxes of that original creation. Nobody now is created in any true sense of that word, but begotten 
and born of a creation made thousands of years ago. Any conception of humanity which differs from this is physiologically and scripturally false. End quote. The history of man reproducing sinners is finally to be brought to an end with the promised seed, the last Adam, a divinely conceived sinless Savior, one without Adam's inheritance of sin, is born of a woman who would call him Savior in Luke chapter 1, verse 47. With men, nothing is possible. With God, all things are possible. We are faced with a question in Job chapter 14, verse 4, who can bring what is pure from the impure? No one. That is no one but God. The 40 days points to the time awaiting purification from the birth of the first man to the last man, the coming seed, the second man, who will reverse the curse, conquer death, and bring about a cleansed and renewed human race with a shedding of his precious blood, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, and Titus chapter 3, verse 5. The Bible hints that the 80 days of purification for the female child points to the addition of 40 days beyond the original 40 days for the male child, symbolizing the arrival of the last Adam, the new man, as the age of grace in which the bride of Christ is prepared and purified by the washing of the water of the word to be joined in wedded oneness with her eternal companion, covenant partner, and heavenly bridegroom in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 26 to 27. And now our reading from the New Testament, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, verses 21 to 43. Jesus heals a woman and Jairus' daughter. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, and fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace, and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, 
Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. And he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, Little girl, I say to you, Arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was twelve years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and told them to give her something to eat. The two major incidents in our New Testament reading are the request of healing of Jairus' daughter in verses 21 to 23, and then the healing of the woman with the issue of blood in verses 24 to 32. Jairus makes his request to Jesus when his daughter is at the point of death. Later, when the news of Jairus' daughter's death reaches Jairus, Jesus says, Don't be afraid, just have faith. Jesus goes to the girl who had died, and he took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, Little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was twelve years old. At this time they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. The plight of the woman with the blood hemorrhage that no physician could heal reminds us of what we are learning in the book of Leviticus. The woman's issue of blood reminds us of the sobering reality of the fall. In healing this woman, Jesus gives us a picture not just of his ability to provide physical healing, but a far greater healing of reversing the curse. As Isaac Watts put it in his hymn, Joy to the World, the Lord has come. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as, far as the curse is found. In today's reading from the book of Psalms, we go now to Psalm 38. And reading today's psalm is Michael Morris. Before Michael reads, I want to say a few words about the remarkable work of God in this man's life. When Michael was just over a year old, he contracted bacterial spinal meningitis, and as a result, he was made deaf. After a good number of years, a portion of his hearing was restored, but it left him with disabilities in speech, and many years of speech therapy were required. Michael knows that the hand of the Lord rescued him, and not only is he able to read this psalm intelligibly, but he can identify with the psalmist's heart cry for deliverance when he says, But I am like a deaf man. I am like a mute man. I have become like a man who does not hear. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. And so today we thank God that when Michael called out to the Lord for his salvation, his prayer was heard. Do not forsake me, O Lord, a psalm of David for the memorial offering. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate. All the day I go about mourning, for my sides are filled with burning. 
and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. O Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs. My strength fails me. And the light of my eyes, it also has gone from me. My friends and companions stand aloof from my plague, and my nearest kin stand far off. Those who seek my life lay their snares. Those who seek my hurt speak of ruin and meditate treachery all day long. But I am like a deaf man, I do not hear. Like a mute man who does not open his mouth, I have become like a man who does not hear, and in whose mouth are no rebukes. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord my God, who will answer. For I said, Only let them not rejoice over me, who boast against me when my foot slips. For I am ready to fall, and my pain is ever before me. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin, but my foes are vigorous. They are mighty, and many are those who hate me wrongfully. Those who render me evil for good accuse me because I follow after good. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. Thank you for reading, Michael. There are seven penitential psalms in the book of Psalms. Psalm 38 is the third. The first two were Psalm 6 and Psalm 32. The remaining are the well-known Psalm 51, Psalm 102, 130, and 143. The penitential psalm is a heart cry of a soul that is recognizing its own transgressions. The psalmist begins by addressing the Lord who knows everything about him. He confesses his personal, physical sufferings and mental anguish in verses 1 to 10. The second section speaks of his difficult relationships with his family, friends, foes who now stand aloof. Some seek to destroy him in verses 11 to 12. He finds that he is helpless and cannot defend himself in verses 13 to 14. He confesses his guilt and his sin in verse 18 and casts himself on God's mercy in verse 15 and pleads for speedy deliverance in verse 22. He concludes this psalm with three requests. Number one, be with me in verse 21. Number two, be near me in verse 21. And number three, before me and help me in verse 22. Let us make that our prayer today. Now our reading from Proverbs, Proverbs 10, verses 8 to 9. The wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. So God's wisdom for us today is to be obedient, walk the talk, or you will experience the ruin of your folly. Let's pray. Once again, Lord, you have shown to us the perfection required for our salvation and how those requirements are met in the provision of our great high priest and his perfect sacrifice on our behalf. You are the Lord of all, and we yield every aspect of our daily lives to you. Be glorified in the temple of your church and the temple of our bodies. We recognize our need for the life and the power of your Spirit. So be with us, be near us, and help us. You have demonstrated to us who are in Christ ones that you are for us and nothing can separate us from your love. And for this we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, thanks for listening. There is really much more to these passages that we've been reading than what we were able to highlight in our podcast today. Those of you who are familiar with the New Testament will see how Jesus was born under the law to fulfill the law and how his parents brought him to the temple for these purification ceremonies. But there really is much more, and you can find helpful details in the written transcript and commentary at our website, www.newlife.org. And for those of you who are praying for every nation on the planet today, we are praying for Armenia, and you can find details in the Operation World Prayer Guide. God bless you, and thank you.